And we also have about, well, a good large, probably about 50%, maybe 60% of our community down at one thing, <laughs> the large gathering that IHOP throws at the end of the year, each year. Um, our community loves um, IHOP. We're deeply connected to that family down there. And uh, so whenever this time of the season comes, it's like an exodus. <laughs> to Kansas City they go. And so... Um, Anyways, I get the privilege of bringing the word to you, of which I'm very excited. I want to apologize for last Sunday. I was a little bit out of sorts. I, I um, tried something, just given uh, our scheduling and stuff that we were doing for our community. We threw a large Christmas party for those who serve and volunteer at Hilltop, and that was very taxing. And I think I had five hours, maybe four hours of sleep Saturday. And I came here and tried to deliver the word on Sunday, and it was a train wreck. And so, uh, okay, you guys are too kind. I have you all fooled. Um, love covers a multitude of sin. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but anyways, I'm in much better shape uh, this evening, uh, physically. Got some rest. Anyways, if you would, uh, please turn your Bible. Who's sporting paper back? This now? Who's sporting the iPad or Samsung, small flat screen television? What do you, what do you have today? What's your... Oh, Fabiano, nice. Is that your new one, buddy? Nice. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let's turn to Psalms chapter 63, if we can. You know, it's always a personal goal of mine when we're coming into a new year to kind of go into that new year expecting great things from God and I think more than just expecting great things from God, the, my heart posture is I want 2015 to look drastically different than 2014, both personally uh, and as far as our ministry and church. I just, I have a desire to go from glory to glory. And when every year like passes and a new chapter is kind of closed, there's this expectation that, oh, we're going into another chapter, 2015, what is it going to look like? And in that expectation... There's just a real longing uh, for uh, growth personally um, and corporately as it results to the ministry. Um, and with that, I'd have to say that 2014 has been a brilliant year. It's been a great year. But I can't necessarily say that my Christmas was all that great this year, um, given that my son was diagnosed with... Um, uh, it's gonna gonna clam up a little bit here. Um, uh, Lyme's disease. Uh, now I know for some of you, you're like, well, that's not a, you know, what is that? Um, but uh, we had, he had gotten a tick bite over the summer, and we did all what we could, preventive medicine and antibiotics, to kind of hopefully curve the disease. And he had took a test after I think. I want to say six weeks of antibiotics, antibiotics, and um, the test came back negative, but with these tests, there's only like a, tw there's like a 20% chance that, you know, it's not going to really come out and really show that if Lyme's is in there or if Lyme's is not. Lyme's is a tricky disease as far as what I'm researching. It likes to hide, you know, and it can't easily be detected within the blood. And so... Um, we had found out about two weeks ago after certain, now if you know my son, Abram, he is um, a very lively little boy. I mean, the kid has energy for about 20 people. I mean, it's like, I only have one son, but it feels like sometimes having five. 
just because he is so energetic and so full of life. And uh, it was about two weeks before Christmas, he started to really, his behavior started changing and he was kind of slowing down and then he started complaining about a lot of uh, pain physically and burning of his eyes and such. And so, um, you know, we were praying and hoping that the 20% chance of the test being wrong wasn't there, that we, we've landed within the 70%. Unfortunately, we didn't. And uh, me and Bethany are emotionally just broken. You know, I, I just, she's not here today. Uh, she's with my son, just trying to take it easy. Um, you know, another thing in the Christmas season, it's hard to find specialists, you know, you can find, you, we brought him to his, um, his, his care, his, his uh, primary care doctor, I think that's what you say, that's the right terminology, but in terms of finding a specialist, they're all off for the holidays naturally, and so um, each day is just getting a little bit worse and worse, but I share all this um, because, you know, God, I think, has led me to Psalms chapter 63 in this season, given the language uh, and the heart that David has here, and the resolve, I think, more so, that he has in the midst of hardship even, in the midst of family stuff going on, as we'll find out later as we go on and and we we talk about this particular word. But, um, you know, there's certain words found in Scripture that seem to take on a lot more meaning than others. It's not that Other parts of scriptures aren't meaningful, but in different seasons that we're in, in different circumstances that we face, man, you can just find certain scriptures and they can just do a lot for your heart. They meet you right where you are. Anybody have those types of passages or scriptures or verses or chapters? Well, for me, Psalms chapter 63 has been like a life verse. And it seems to have uh, encouraged me and brought me great comfort uh, when... That comfort is needed the most, and uh, I can't think of a time when I've needed comfort in my own heart with the situation with my son. I think it hits home, one, because he's an only child, two, because he's never, ever complained about anything. The kid has never had an earache. He's thrown up once after he ate at my parents' house. Um, <laughs> he, he has never had a fever. He's, I mean, he's like the poster child of health, and just... All of a sudden, for something to change like this, man, it just took us by surprise, took us off guard, given his character. Anyways, let's get right into reading here in verse 1 of Psalms chapter 63. It says, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there seems to be no water. So right out the door, David kind of cries out to God. He says, God, I earnestly search for you. Now in context to Psalms 63, the background is here. David has uh, gone off to the wilderness of Judah because of something that's happening in his family. If you're familiar with 2 Samuel, I believe chapter 15, you'll see that Absalom, his son, has risen against him, wants to take his life and his throne. And so David flees to the wilderness. Now, how about that? <laughs> you know, how about your own flesh and blood, the child, your child, wanting to take your life, but even beyond that, take your throne? Remarkable. 
And this is David's resolve in Psalms chapter 63. His resolve is not necessarily to focus on the problem, but to focus on his need for God. You know, this isn't David trying to connect and seek the Lord just because he thinks he should. Or because he thinks it's a good idea to maintain some kind of spiritual balance to fulfill some morning devo, you know. Have you ever been there? You know, you're just trying to maintain your walk with the Lord. The alarm goes off. Because you're trying to be disciplined to actually get up and talk to God. Have some coffee time, some Bible time, some devotional time. And, and, and you're just trying to go through the, um, not the emotions, but the practices of devotion. <laughs> I've been there. It's like my life. <laughs> when you're not necessarily provoked, but you're just trying to be disciplined. This isn't David. He's not here. He's not. This is something that is sincere. This is something that is heartfelt. He goes on to say, my soul, it thirsts for you. So it's not aimless, nor is it empty. It's not empty at all. It comes from the depths of David's soul. It comes from his innermost being for substance, the substance of God. How many know that God has substance? Jesus said that I live not by bread and bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This was when he was being tempted in the wilderness. So right there, you see that God has something to offer. He has something to give that can actually satisfy, quench, or fill our deepest hunger and need. Even beyond, according to the words of Jesus, what food could do. I'm a big food guy. I love food, if you hadn't noticed. Slightly overweight. Just kidding. No, but I am. But I love food. And there's something comforting about food. There's something so fulfilling when you sit down, have a nice big bowl of MSG. <laughs> Chinese food. Is it okay to have fun in church this evening, guys? Good. But here we see David's not there. He's not looking for any kind of, you know, other comfort than the comfort that can come from God. He's not looking for any other sense of substance other than the substance that he can get from God in his time of need. And of course, listen, what's going on with Absalom, his heart is broken. Even so to the point he is, not, he is choosing not to, to rise up against Absalom and take him out. Where even where he advises his different leaders, his different his military, if you would, not to touch a hair on Absalom's head. So he flees. He flees, broken. Have you ever been in that place? Have you ever been there? Where you're just like at the end of your rope? You just, you just, there's nothing that can really satisfy. There's nobody's words that could bring comfort. Uh, but you know you're just in that place of where, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. My, my, the comfort from my friends won't work. It doesn't work. It touches no place in me. The comfort from food, the comfort from television, you know, the comfort from just numbing out and, and, and uh, disengaging. It won't do, God. I have to have something from you. This is where David is. 
You know, he doesn't once in this psalm remind the Lord of what is going on through what is happening in Absalom and what Absalom is doing. He is directly saying, God, I earnestly search for you. My soul, God, it thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there seems to be no water. Now, this is literal. This is not some spiritual thing. David is probably up in the morning as that word earnest speaks of an early morning rising, coming, waking up and talking to God. And he is literally getting up probably in the rise of, uh, of the sun, beating down on him and seeing desert. <laughs> literally no water. And he connects this image to his conversation with God. You would. He sees this barren land and he says, just like this land needs water, so my thirst, it longs for you, God. Again, what's fueling this intensity in David is absolutely the story of Absalom and the heartbreak. That's important to note. Why do I say it's important to note? Because most of the times we don't come to this place of sincerity unless something is pressing in on us. Something that we don't know what to do. In my son, I don't know what to do. I pray, but it seems like those symptoms are getting harder. They're, they're getting stronger. And I'm like, God, you know, I try, I'll throw money trying to find doctors and medicine that can help them. And still, it's... There's nothing. And I kind of connect to David here because I'm sure he feels like this in his heart. There's nothing I can do, God. It's my son. And I don't say this to beat us up, but most of us are like that today. Most of us don't come to the place of real, genuine sincerity, earnest seeking of the Lord until something crashes in like a flood. Am I the only one? Because I am there today. I mean, yeah, I'm the pastor. I get that. Yes, am I saying that, no, I, I, I just go on trying to just get by and never really giving my heart sincerely to the Lord, sincerely seeking Him? No, that's not what I'm saying. But man, when the pressure gets added, it's a whole new level. It's a whole new level of desperateness. It's important to understand and grasp and get context of what David is facing and why, why he is praying like he's praying, earnest as he is. You know, the, the psalmist was never ashamed all throughout the psalms to bear his feelings on his sleeves. Never. Look at Psalms 42, verse 2, a classic Classic scripture, just the, just the second verse, the whole chapter actually, but um, actually we'll just talk about first, uh, the thirst. He says this, as a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for you, the living God. When can I go stand before him? Psalms 84, 2. These are just some of the psalms that, that point out this place in David where he continually longed for the Lord. Most of us try to just go to conferences and, 
and try to just hold on for church on Sunday, hoping that it will provoke some kind of longing within us and take us off of one track and put us on another. But here David, he lives in a constant state of saying, God, I thirst for you. I long for you. Psalms 82, two, 84, two, excuse me, says this. I long, yes, faint with longing. I long, yeah, just think about the words and get the image in your head. Get the image of the desperate cry in David's heart. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord with my whole being, body, soul. I shout joyfully to the living God. Psalms 143, 6, just one more. I just think it's good to focus in on these, this heart, the man who is after God's heart. Psalms 143.6, it says, I lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as parched land, as a parched land thirsts for rain. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus, right? The Beatitudes, those who are listening on top of the mountain. He encourages his listeners to thirst and to hunger for righteousness. Of course, Jesus is talking about an inward righteousness, right? He's talking about a desire to, to mirror the Son of God, to be righteous. But he's also talking about himself as he is the personification, I think is the right word, of this righteousness. There is only one who is worthy. It's Jesus your righteousness, my righteousness is his filthy rags. Jesus literally says that you are blessed among all men if you hunger and you thirst for righteousness. So we have, have you ever, I mean, when I'm hungry, it's intense. I mean, my behavior changes. I get grouchy. I am like, you know, it's like a demon comes on me. Seriously, it's intense. I'm not, there's two things that gets, I think, me and my wife and Abram kind of wacky. It's food and sleep. When the, there's a deficiency of those, man, our attitude changes. It's like, what happened to you? You need to eat. How, how many have seen those commercials? What is it, stickers? And, uh, you know, like, one's like Betty Ford or some, like, prima donna type thing. And, like, they're just flipping out. And there's like, dude, 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 here, eat this. And then their whole countenance changes to go back to the real guy, right? That's how it is. So we got, we got that understanding of hunger, of what it means to be hungry, what it means to thirst for God. And Jesus gives us a license. He gives us permission to hunger and thirst for Him. You know, one thing that trumps the desires in my heart is that I consistently hunger for God. There's this kind of lie, I think, kind of prevailing in the church where it's like, we're good, man. God's good. He loves us. Yeah, true. I love it. Why are you striving? What, what do you mean hungry? What does that mean? You hunger for God? Man, God is in you. Try telling that to David. Jesus came from his roots. Yet, we see all throughout the Psalms, this man crying out to God. 
day in, day out. You would have thought he was depressed. (laughs) Heaven forbid, heaven forbid if some of us in the church get sober. (laughs) Heaven forbid if some of us, like David here in Psalm 63, see our true condition before the Lord and say, God, I earnestly seek you. And Lord, there is so much going on right now, but Lord, I want to make you the focus. I thirst for you. The Jewish people understood that God would satisfy their needs in the future kingdom promised in Isaiah chapter 25, 41, and 55 as he supplied them in Exodus when he first led them out of Egypt. But Jesus in Matthew in the gospel and the Beatitudes points out the greatest object of longing should be God. Let me say that one more time. Although the Jewish people had an understanding because of prophecy in Isaiah of God providing their needs as individual as individuals as Jesus was talking to primarily Jewish people he still makes the focus the greatest object the centerpiece of our longing God with the statement Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, it's, it's remarkable to me back to the things that provoke us sometimes that we have to wait or we think we have to wait for something like a relative betraying us to actually get us into a place where our hearts are sensitive enough to acknowledge that we need the Lord. That we have to wait for some calamity, if you would, or some situation that's hard to actually get us to a place where we earnestly seek the Lord because we don't know what else to do. I think there's something great about that, but there's also something very troubling about that. Because as a people of God, we should live in a constant state. And guys, I am throwing myself right there with you. Don't think that this man is beyond. There are certain things, you can ask my wife, that get my attention spiritually. Where I'm like, okay, something's going to change. And then there's certain things that should get my attention that don't. And I kind of... I wait too long, and then all of a sudden, I procrastinate, and then all of a sudden, it's on my doorstep. And I believe God wants a people who are ready, in season, out of season, to respond like David. You know, one of the things of the house of prayer, because we primarily, we indulge ourselves <laughs> in crying out to God. We indulge ourselves in, in announcing our lack to God in prayer. We do. And it, it, I've actually gotten emails. You guys are depressing. Uh, you guys are like wicked negative. You know, what, what is this spin? Like it's always, God, we want you. God, we long for you. You know, and, and, and I, I'm like, what happened? When did this become wrong? When did this become depressing? I find 
great joy today, friend, that I can come into a prayer service, that I can come into church and announce, rather through music or the preaching of the word, my longing for God. I am not ashamed of it. I am, I am provoked that God has much more for me and you than where I am right now or where you are right now. And the change will only come when we really start to acknowledge, like David did in Psalms chapter 63, our need and our longing for God. It's my opinion that there seems to be a response that God is looking for in His people no matter what comes our way. There seems to be something that God is looking for within His people that when we are down in the valley per se or we are caught in the trenches of life, God is saying, what will be your response? We have so many weak Christians. And I say that with sincerity, guys. I am not, I am not judging. I am not condemning. But we have a culture, especially here in the West, that is extremely weak spiritually. That the sign of adversity, we break. We break. Oh, here he goes again. Daryl, come on. <laughs> yeah, here I go again. I'm right there. Guys, I've been crying out in my car, asking for my son's healing, and then going home, seeing nothing changed, and having to fight bitterness in my heart, having to fight anger in my heart towards God. But God, you're a healer. Jesus, you said you were the great physician. That's what it's like. What will be my response? What will be your response? This is unto something. This whole, like, how we respond thing is unto something. The Bible says in the last days that the pressure will be so intense. Now, I'm not getting... We should hear more about the last days. You kidding me? We have more self-help messages in the church, and we hear little about the days that are here and the days that are coming. It's unto something. The Bible says that in those days, God will have to shorten the time of what... The church will go through. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm giving you facts if you believe the literal word of God as being literal. That he had to shorten the days just because the pressure would be so intense that even the elect would be deceived. They would break. They would crumble. And you say, well, that's kind of big deal, epic, you know, eschatology, end of days type stuff. Well... In the Gospels, I mean, in the New Testament, Paul, Peter, Jesus, all warned us of the last days. Probably one of the uh, uh, overwhelming themes throughout the New Testament. Paul would even say we are even in the last days now. This is thousands of years now. 
See, this thing, this response, this how we act when the pressure sits in, what our responses are, is unto something. It's to build within us a strength and a character so that when those days come, and they're coming, matter of fact, they are here. I'm here to tell you. I am the most down-to-earth man. I am not over, overly spiritual. I'm not too prophetic. But I can see something when it's coming. And there are days of great perils even upon us now. And this response, this thing where God is saying, Daryl, what will be your response? Is bigger than just the moment. It's preparing us for something that's very intense that will be very overwhelming. And so I don't think it's a small thing at all when we go through trials, when we go through hardships. I don't think it's a small thing just to kind of push it to the side, you know, and say, okay, well, you know, I didn't necessarily react so good there. Praise God. Maybe next time it'll be better. (laughs) But here, David makes his response to the Lord and his need for the Lord. Psalms chapter 63, David illustrates this for us. David is in a dry land where there is no water to be found. With the hot sun beating down on him, he makes his personal need for the Lord his focus. The metaphor of drought all through the Psalms always has expressed a deep longing for God. Always. You study it. Study it out. Whenever David or one of his psalmists or one of the musicians refers to some kind of drought or some kind of dry land, it has little to do with the dry land and much to do with the the dryness of their own hearts and their longing for God to fill them. It's a metaphor. And David has perfected the art of being sorrowful. And then also, he reminds himself. You ever notice that about David? He reminds himself of better days. <laughs> Have you ever just had to do that over your situation? Yeah, you acknowledging the sorrow that's in your heart. You're acknowledging the trials that you're facing, but yet you somehow try to encourage and build your faith. And the better days that maybe were prior, hoping that they will come again and even be better than they were. Psalms 42, if you want to look back there, gives us this imagery again. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go stand before him? (laughs) Little in the church (laughs) has that kind of resolve. We're more so... When can I get out of church? (laughs) Do I have to go to the house of prayer? You know. But David's like, when? When can I go? (laughs) I I got, David, zeal for your house has consumed me. That's David's resolve. Where is that in the church? You call a, a fellowship meeting, a Christmas party, and almost half the church shows up. You call a prayer meeting, you maybe get five. Big prophet comes into, my old pastor used to say that. Big prophet comes into sound. The church, the church is packed. You can't fit any more in. You call a prayer meeting, maybe you get two or three to show up. Yeah. 
But here David is longing for the courts of God. I'm sorry, I yelled. I just feel, I feel zeal for God's house. When can I go stand before him? <laughs> when? It's not an issue of I have to. It's when. When can we go, guys? Load the car up. Let's do it. Day and night, I have only tears for food. While my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading the great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Excuse me. David expresses his deep longing for God. Then he voices his concerns. And in verse 4 of 42, he reminds himself of better days. David continually would encourage himself in the Lord. He would continually, under hardship and under the things that he was facing, you look at even the death of uh, his son that came out of the uh, uh, adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. He mourned while there was question around the baby's health, if the baby would survive. And then immediately after, after he heard that his son had died, he washed himself, he ate because why his son was in that state of unsure how it was all going to end up, excuse me, um, he fasted. But then he says that after he found or heard the news of the baby's passing, he washed himself, ate, and kind of to the confusion of those who were witnessing, we're like, what, what's, what, what's going on? And David goes out and starts to encourage himself in the Lord. And the same thing can be said about Psalms chapter 63, just the first three verses. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In this parched and weary land where there seems to be no water. I have seen you. Again, here he goes. He's reminding himself, I have seen you in your sanctuary. He's not in a sanctuary. He's in a desert. <laughs> He's in a desert fleeing from the wrath of Absalom. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. <laughs> oh, I praise you. That's what he says. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. I don't want to go into 2015 complacent. And I don't think there's anyone here that wants to either. I want to, I want to go into the new year with this type of resolve. And, and we know that this resolve is coming out of great trials again. We know that what is surrounding David is hard. <laughs> but man, I, I want this heart. I want this heart not just for me. I want it for my church. My church, God's church, you know what I mean, Hilltop. I want it for the Justice House of Prayer. And you know, we do. We get into kind of a... Uh, a vibe, if you would. I mean, I don't know. Um, uh, um, uh, kind of a routine sometimes where we hear a word, we're provoked, 
then the course of a couple of weeks, we kind of lose it. I don't, I don't want to be there. So I, I, I would definitely say that, that this is part doing the aerobics of devotion. Because <laughs> sometimes it's like that, friend. Wah, wah, five o'clock alarm. Yes, God, I hear you calling me. So I know that there's the practice of devotion. I know there's the discipline of devotion. But I also know there's a like, when can I go to the house of God type of devotion. And I believe that's what God wants. And most of all, friend, we should want that. We, that should be our desire. We should look at David's life, be provoked. But not just stop at being provoked, actually do something to cultivate a hunger for God, a thirst for God, not waiting till something that is trying to come to our doorstep where we don't know what else to do and we finally go to God, but living in a state of being aware of our state and our longing for God. This was what I had today. And honestly, when it comes to messages like this, I, I honestly don't know how to close them out because it's more of like a charge. It is really, it's a charge. It's, it's kind of like a sounding, what will you choose? What will 2015 look for you? We're not disregarding hardships. I'm not disregarding what's going on with my son. It's very painful. It's heart-wrenching. But what I'm asking God is, Lord, search me and know me. I'm saying, you know, when there is bitterness, when there is anger at God. You know, guys, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. You, you know, I, I don't want to butcher the saying, but I heard this, I think, from Lou Engel once, and I, I don't think he's the one that came up with the statement. But he said that when you get before heaven, the only regrets you'll have is what you didn't give to God. You'll never stand before heaven and say, you know, well, I gave this, I gave that, you know, did pretty good there. You're only going to regret what you knew you should have given, and you never did. And that, that goes into, don't get locked in into a box of, what does that mean? Is he talking about my money? Is he, what is, he, is he talking about my time? It's everything. God wants everything. God deserves everything. It's a matter of trust. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. And Lord, we thank you for 